Fancy meeting you here on a Friday, eh? Hey, hey, Friday it is, it's the 11th of February, February 2022. It's three o'clock here in Salford. Thanks for finding me. Don't get too excited though. I don't, the earth shouldn't move for you this afternoon. I've had another very busy day, not too much editorial in hand. So I haven't, but we can have a chat for a bit. It can't be any worse than what's on BBC Radio 2 right now, he says. Tongue firmly in cheek. This is the Richie Allen Show of sorts. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Yeah, and stuff is supposed to happen now and it isn't happening, you see. Ah, yeah, okay. That's the one. (laughs) That's a fine start there, Alan. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Would you like to drop me a line, would you? A couple of paragraphs wouldn't kill you. Get over to richieallen.co.uk, that's my website, and drop me a couple of paragraphs. Give me an opinion on something, please. <laughs> it can be anything. I don't mind. The price of soup, I don't know. Do that, richieallen.co.uk. That's six nay, the old theme tune. Yeah, it's been a been an interesting couple of days. Thank you for understanding about my absence yesterday. We had we had a difficult couple of days. We have two dogs, as you probably know, if you've listened to me long enough. If you're listening for the first time, by by chance. Well, I'm telling you now, we have a two-year-old golden retriever and a six-month-old German shepherd who has fractured one of her toes. Yeah, it's not great, is it? But um, had to deal with that yesterday, the, the, the x-ray under anaesthetic, which isn't too pleasant for the dog. There was an interesting thing, though. I don't know whether I should mention this, but I, I suppose I can mention it. It interested me. We... Noticed this was a problem that be- began on Tuesday. The dog, she pulled up very sharp during a hectic run with the other dog, with her companion, on Tuesday morning and was sore and was limping a bit. We couldn't get to see anyone until Wednesday. On Wednesday, they gave us some painkillers and said, listen, take her home and bring her back on Thursday and we will anesthetize. I can never say that word, can you? Anesthetize? Anesthetize? We'll, we'll knock her out for a little bit and give her the x-ray. You can't just hold the dog still. You can't be in the room, sadly. So they knocked them out. But anyway, here's the thing. So on Wednesday, I was in the car outside. I rushed back to do the phone-in on Wednesday. Just got here in the nick of time. And herself, the oft-mentioned, El Frago, she went into the vet with the little one. And they said, right, they said, that'll be £350 tomorrow, Thursday, when you return for the x-ray. Now, that's very expensive, but calm down, dear. That's where insurance comes in very handy. That money won't come out of our pockets. The insurance will, will cover that. So, there you are. We're not pleading poverty. The, the insurance company will, will handle it. Now, that's at the top of the range. That's at the top end of the pricing for for a, a, an x-ray under anaesthetic. Top of the range. Range is between 250 
and 330 if you do your research. It's expensive, right? So 350 was above the what, what we were told you should pay. Again, not that it matters because that payment will be made by the insurance company, which is a pretty good one as it happens. So that was all right, like, right? So you pay it and then the insurance money gives it. The insurance company gives you back the money after you send them a form. It's usually pretty quick. Those of you who have animals, you will know this. On Thursday, yesterday, I took her down to be given the anaesthetic and to be, to leave her there, basically. They handed me a form and they said, here's the estimate for today. They said £529. Now, if you know anything about me, I, I said, hang on a second, what do you mean? Well, that's the estimate. Like, it's kind of what we expect we'll be charging you at the end of the day. And I said, you won't be charging anything like that at the end of the day. She's having an anaesthetic and an x-ray under anaesthetic. They said 350 yesterday. Where, where has 529 come from? From 350, like. So she was a bit flummoxed, was the veterinary nurse. I'll go and see the vet, she said. I said, you better go and see him. So she went to see the vet and came back and went, oh, uh, yeah. And she handed me this sheet with a schedule of, of things, basically. Treatments that little Bobby Jean would, would receive. And, of course, at the top of it, there was a pre-anesthetic blood test. I said, who put that on there? The vet. When was that agreed? Wasn't it agreed? I said, when was that agreed? When were we consulted about this totally unnecessary blood test that you're going to charge £100 for? So she's got a bit flustered and a bit flummoxed. And I was getting really annoyed because I don't like being robbed. I don't know about you, but I don't like being robbed. And I was a bit short-sighted at the time because I was, you know, you get very het up, as we say back in God's country. You get very riled up. The, the fact that someone is trying to, to do you, to pull the wool over your eyes. So I was annoyed, so vet popped out. The receptionists were embarrassed. I don't swear. I know I do swear occasionally on this programme, but when I'm having a go at somebody, I stay very calm. I don't shout and I don't swear. I said, this is, this is basically fraud. This is fraud, what you're doing. You're not asking for permission to perform a blood test that's entirely unnecessary. The dog might have a fracture of one of her toes, one of her paws, there's no need for the blood test. So they said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll scrub that then. And there was another unnecessary thing on it for £80. It was totally unnecessary, I can't remember. Oh, we'll scrub that as well then. And all told then it'll be around about the 350 So of course I was annoyed. What can you do? Left her there, went back. But had a good rant then chatting to El Frogo about it. But then it occurred to me, it's obviously not us they're trying to defraud. It's the insurance company. Because they will know which of the clients will have insurance and which don't. Which of the clients do not have pet insurance. So I suppose they assume, wrongly in my case, that we couldn't give a damn what they charge. How much and for what. That we'll go along with it. Because ultimately, after I hand over my debit card, within a few days, the insurance company gives me back the money. And then I got to wondering... Would the insurance companies be interested in the fact that they're being robbed? The dogs are being given unnecessary treatments just to bump up the bills. And then I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe the insurance companies couldn't give a damn. Maybe it's all part of one big game. Anyway, but look, she's got a hairline fracture on her toe, has little Bobby. That's a pain in the arse, meaning she's got to be 
indoors for at least three weeks, which is a, a real problem for her. She's been crying today as a little lay of the Golden Retriever has been going off for her walks. But uh, she doesn't need any surgery, no splint, and she doesn't need any screws. So she's had a lucky escape. Or we've had a lucky escape. Again, I don't mean financially because it wouldn't cost us long term. But uh, it's a minor enough thing as long as she keeps the old activity down to a minimum, she should be okay. Yes. Did you need to hear all of that? I thought I'd tell you. Interesting, isn't it? Just adding little things, a blood test here. And now I remember, now I remember. They wanted to charge charge £80 for another vet, not for an orthopaedic consultant, but for another vet to have a quick glance at the x-ray. I said, no, we no need for that. If you're any good, we won't need another vet looking at it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one big cash cow, isn't it? Veterinary medicine. How are you today, Friday? Are you looking forward to the weekend? As I said, I look forward to reading you, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. I'm going to play a tune now, just for the hell of it. When I come back from the tune, we'll talk about one or two things of interest, I think. Okay? Okay. What's happening today? It's like there's nothing is working here. Ah, I see. I see what's happening. There you go. Let's have that tune then. The time exactly nine and a half minutes past three o'clock, Friday's programme. That is Candy Statton, Young Hearts Run Free, 13 minutes past three. Young Hearts Run Free, that's the one. Just an email from Tina. I talked about this the other day on the programme because I found it really fascinating. I genuinely did. The hysterical overreaction to the West Ham football player Kurt Zuma, who was filmed by his brother kicking, chasing and harassing his cat. What an arse, right? I think I made it pretty clear what my feelings were on it. The the thing I was certainly not shocked by, because it's what the media does, it's what social media does, but um, amused by, I suppose, was the hysterical calls for the man to be basically destroyed, to lose his job, to lose lose his livelihood, to be banned from ever working again, to be kicked out of the country, all of this sort of stuff. Tina got in touch and says, Dear Richie, I was truly disappointed with your view of the media's take on the West Ham footballer's shocking vid of him kicking a cat. What has he now taught other easily influenced kids, says Tina? What has that taught the kid that was in the room? I wouldn't want any kid of mine anywhere near the C, says Tina. I wonder what C stands for. <laughs> Tina, you get no arguments from me. What, what, what do you want to do with him, though? He didn't kill the cat. He didn't permanently injure the cat. What's an appropriate punishment for the man? He's going to... He has been fined two weeks' wages... The cats have been confiscated. It's very likely the man will be banned from ever caring for an animal ever again. And I think that's probably right. Well, it is right. I don't mean probably right. He's an arse, isn't he? Who does that? And I did say a psych evaluation probably wouldn't go astray. But what more do you want from the man? When, 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 does, when does forgiveness come into it like? I mean, did he do it to you personally? Did he do it to your cat? Did he do it to your dog? No, he didn't. He did it to a cat that he was supposed to be looking after. It's wretched. 
But ultimately, at some stage, the guy has to be allowed to get on with his life. And I, I, I think I said the other evening, not now. I didn't mean forgiveness this instance, but they shouldn't continue the pile on, on the man. It's bullying. It's terrible bullying. Leave him now. He's got to go out. I mean, I'm sure he's getting dog's abuse, no pun intended, wherever he goes. He can't walk out onto a football pitch without being jeered and, and whistled and, 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 and all the rest of it. But at some stage, you've got to say, all right now, leave him alone now. All right, that's the, the point I made. I wasn't lessening what the man did. How could I? I love animals and I'm, I'm not virtue signalling when I say that, as does my better half. We love them, love animals. We love the company of them. Couldn't be without our dogs. When my German Shepherd, our German Shepherd Jazz died, around about this time last year it was, in fact, it was devastating. I didn't want to do the radio show for a week or two after that. It was heartbreaking because my days were, were so enriched by jazz. Taking, you know, taking her out, not just out to the parks, but I would go to the news agents during the morning. She'd come with me. She'd follow me everywhere. She worshipped Caroline. I understand we love animals, but leave the guy alone now. I'd say he gets the message at this stage. But they, they continue. It continued today. I was listening to radio as I was on my travels this morning. Friday's a busy old day for me. It was foolish of me to say I would come on today because I knew I wouldn't have any time to prepare anything substantial because today's a busy old day. It's laundry day at BBG Towers, amongst other things. Here's a story. Give us your thoughts on it. But actually, before I tell you the story share the story with you. I'll read a couple of comments. My pal Patricia in Zurich says, Richie, maybe it's time to scrub that vet. We are going to extricate ourselves. We are going to leave the vet. It's a chain. I won't mention it because it's probably unfair to mention it. I say that because I'm pretty sure this is wrong now. I was just going to a gross generalisation. I was just going to jump right in with two feet but I'm guessing, you know, the days of the gentleman or lady vet are seemingly gone. We had an old black and white cat, the first pet that herself and myself had. We met in Waterford in 2002 and our first pet was a black and white moggy, a big old tabby uh, who who Caroline called Diablo. He was just fantastic. We didn't call him, we called him Puss, but uh, his official name was Diablo. We had him. And uh, we had a vet who was local in Waterford. And he was a, a senior gentleman in his own private practice. And he'd been doing that for years. And then we were in Spain. We lived in Spain for years. And there was a vet. And he was a, an Irishman who had retired in Spain. But, but, but because he was bored, and because he was young, qualified vet, he opened up his own practice. And he was nice. And that's a lovely thing when you're dealing with a lady or a gentleman. It's their business. But that's rarer and rarer. It's a very rare thing now. It's very difficult, especially in the Northwest, to find a veterinarian that isn't part of some chain. And that's a problem, that. It's a big problem. We notice this, that when we go to the vet that we normally use, and we don't go very often, Right, we don't go very often. Obviously, not the animals are the dogs are very well, well looked after, but you never see the same person there. 
So that's a problem, Patricia. But yes, Pandora says, great to hear you, Richie. Sorry to hear the vets tried to fleece you. Uh, like wolves in sheep's clothing, indeed. Jean-Anne said this is informative, I suppose. She's right in, to, to say it's informative. Do keep an eye on the charging when you do go to the vets and it's for a semi-serious procedure. Do ask to see a breakdown. Even if you are insured, you know, even if you are insured, you might think I don't care because ultimately Direct Line or whichever insurance company, Norwich Union, whichever one it is that you're with, you might think, well, they'll have to uh, pick up the tab. Uh, Joan says, Richie, some of these vets are bloody leeches, seriously. Good for you for standing up. Well, I would. It's it's in my family. It, 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 the, the contrarian attitude, asking questions all the time, is in my family. It, it, it runs in my family. People not accepting what they're given and standing up for their, you know, consumer rights. I come from a long line of people who ask questions, really, you know. Hi to Jake, who thanks me for doing this programme. Don't thank me yet, Jake. It's going to be garbage. <laughs> because I've got nothing. I've got a couple of stories. It's, a, it's wild and windy there in Connemara. It is wild and windy. We're looking forward to a bit of rain. Remember I was telling you some time ago, we moved into this house back in 2019. It's a, an old council house in uh, Salford on a council estate. <clears throat> and it's lovely. We love it here. We love it here. The people around here are lovely. It's very, very quiet. It's nice. And we're very close to Media City. We're very close to Manchester City Centre. And we're very close to uh, the hospital. Not that we need to be. Please God, we'll never need to be. But we love it here. So it's a cheap and cheerful, big old council house in Salford. When we arrived here, when we, when, when we you know, moved in, our garden was AstroTurf. The, our predecessors, they put AstroTurf down. They had a young boy. I think that was the reason. So from day one, we put aside a few bob, just a few bob here and there, and we said, we'll get rid of that AstroTurf because, well, it's horrendous. And I think if you... Wax lyrical about things on programmes like this. For example, you talk about, we talk about pollinators, don't we? You and I. We talk about chemtrail spraying. We talk about the, the death of bee colonies and other pollinators. Of course we do because it's very important. We talk about aluminium toxicity in bees. I've gotten into that so many times over the years. Check out the wonderful Mariam Henane, by the way. What a lady. Must get her back on the programme soon. Anyway, so we said, eventually, we'll get the old AstroTorf ripped up and we'll have a bit of lawn put down. Well, dear listener, well, dear listener, would you believe it? But after three days, lovely lads, Irish lads, now we didn't hire them because they're Irish, it was a coincidence. Irish lads, second generation, old man came over from Cavan in the 1950s, came over from Cavan, main Cavan bastards. Main Cavan bastards. That's what they say back home anyway. So the sons of a man who emigrated from Ireland to Cavan in the 1950s, they, they dug up, they got a digger, they got a digger, and they dug up all the astroturf and they put down lawn. Lawn. Now, it hasn't rained for two days, so before I came on air with you this afternoon, what do you think old Muggins, what do you think old Baldy was doing? Give you a guess. I was standing there like an idiot with a hose in my hand, watering watering the new lawn and the, the, the new privet hedge, the baby privet hedges that have gone in, standing there like an idiot with the, with the hose. Very proud of myself, it must be said as well. So we have lawn now, hoping to see a few bees in the summer. But anyway, on that subject, hi Claire Conway, 
How are you doing, Claire? Welcome to the programme. Here's a story. I'd like your opinion on this. The BBC is reporting this afternoon that about 200 birds have died overnight in mysterious circumstances near a village. The birds, believed to be starlings, were found between Waterston and Hazel Beach, Pembrokeshire, on Thursday evening. So that's last, last evening. Pembrokeshire Herald editor Tom Sinclair said... There were 50-plus birds on the road and you could hear them all in the hedges squawking and making noises. The RSPB, that's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, said the birds may have been disturbed from their evening roost. The wildlife charity said when this happens during night time, it can cause them to collide with the ground as they become disorientated. Now, I've read, I've looked into this before. Yes, the RSPB is quite right to say it could be some disturbance that has led to the birds becoming disorientated. No doubt. I couldn't deny that. However, however, can they be sure? Can they be sure? Because if you do a little internet search, just for the UK, of similar incidents of birds being found in large numbers dead on roads or, 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 or in fields you will find that such incidents have been on the increase, particularly in the last year and a half. Now, I am not making this up. I swear I don't do that. You know I don't do that. If you uh, thought I did that, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me now. What has changed in the last year and a half? Well, the rollout of 5G masts is one such thing that has changed in the last 18 months. Now, again, I am not saying that the onset, the rollout of 5G is playing any part in the death of these birds at all. But should be looked at, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? I read before that all sorts of things can, you know, put birds, <coughs> excuse me, put them out of their element. Sonic booms is one such thing, I believe. Did I read that before? Sonic booms, sometimes around, around Navy bases or I should say Air Force bases, what's wrong with me? So around air bases, you might get uh, you might get one or two sexy fighter planes out on sorties. If they break the sound barrier very close to a flock of birds, it can, it can cause them to basically die instantly of a heart attack and, and, and drop to the ground. But it's interesting, it's happening quite a lot, this and particularly in the last year and a half. Pembrokeshire Council confirmed 200 starlings had been found dead in the road and said it was not known how they died. 200 birds. Interesting, isn't it? Thoughts on that, richieallen.co.uk. I'm reaching, I'm reaching, I'm floundering, I'm floundering here. I'm not floundering. I'm not floundering. I, I, have, I hold the Guinness Book of World Records for, for talking bollocks on the radio for the longest time. I think my record is 18 hours, 22 minutes and 4 seconds. But I'm not going to try to beat that today. What do you make of that young Russian figure skater? Somebody sent me an email this morning and he said, Richie, the anti-Russian propaganda, well, it's, it's hysterical now, isn't it, Rich? In this email, I think it was Paul. I think, I, I think it's actually Paul Casey, not the golfer, but Paul Casey, who uh, is a listener who listens in Liverpool. Paul, if you're listening, uh, I haven't replied to you, but I got your email. 
amongst others. And Paul said, what do you reckon of this young girl, this uh, Camilla Valieva, 15 years old? The Winter Olympics is going on in Beijing at the moment. Now, the Russians are not allowed to compete as Russia because apparently the Russians are a bunch of cheating backstards. And they've cheated so much in recent Olympic Games and athletics events that they're not allowed to compete under the Russian flag. So they can compete Russian athletes, but not for Russia, for the International Russian Committee or something like that anyway. I'll find out in a minute. But they're not competing for Russia. They're competing for some other stupid name, but the Russians anyhow. This girl won a gold uh, a team winter goal. She was part of a team that won a skating goal. She's 15, a little petite little girl, lovely looking little kid, 15 she is, a smashing skater apparently. And uh, after the win, they held up the medal ceremony. They held it back and they said that she failed a, bl- a, a drugs test. But, but interestingly enough, they said that the drug test was failed. Uh, the one that she, the sample she gave was given back in January some cough medicine or some medicine or other that apparently has properties believed to be performance enhancing. There are those who are very sceptical about this, who believe that this is some sort of payback for Russia massing troops on the Ukrainian border. Obviously, Vladimir Putin, the Russians, not happy at all with NATO expansion. Today, as like most days this week, various political... The commentary... The commentariat, the commentariat are saying today that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent. I'm not sure it is, but what do I know? She's, she was competing for the Russian Olympic Committee. That's right, not for Russia. Russia is banned, but the Russian Olympic Committee isn't. And uh, th- this has been held up because of, a, uh, uh, because of an investigation. A trimet, what is it? Trimetazidine. Is the drug it's used in the prevention of angina attacks. Apparently this girl was given it. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one that. Listen, loads to talk about. There actually is loads to talk about. But I'm going to take another tune. It is Friday. It is drive time. It's uh, 29 and a half minutes past 3 o'clock. It's me, Richie Allen. Who else would it be? Do drop me a message through the website, richieallen.co.uk. There is, of course, no Twitter anymore. There's no Facebook either really so the only way to message me is through the website this is Madonna from 1998 this is Ray of Light pretty miserable out there but hey it's cold and miserable we got three days of rain coming here in the northwest I'll do the weather I'll do everything floundering this is Madge back with more in a minute Madonna, Ray of Light on The Richie Allen Show. It isn't really The Richie Allen Show, but you get what I mean, I think. Or got in touch, hello, or, and sent me a video, which I can't watch now, obviously, but it's a a video which attempts to explain the death of birds in large numbers when they fall out of the sky and hit the ground. And or tells me it's something called murmuration. It's birds flying around bored, basically bored, flying around without being aware of their surroundings. And Orr says to me, remember how you used to do that when you were little, running around and swinging your head until you got dizzy? So there is a theory that birds basically flying around for fun or out of boredom uh, and getting dizzy and disorientated 
and then collapsing. And, and Orr has sent me a video which attempts to explain that particular theory. Thank you, Orr. I appreciate that. And Billy was in touch. How are you doing, Billy? He says, Richie, we have an elderly Spanish dog we bought back with us. We brought back with us from Spain. He's approximately 14 years old now. Recently, he started to drink so much water, he started having accidents in the house. Little wee-wee accidents. Long story short, went to the vet's blood test, wee test, etc. He's been diagnosed as being diabetic, needs two shots of insulin a day for the rest of his life. The cost per month is £80, says Billy. That's got a sting, Billy. He says, so now we're looking online for cheaper options to keep our lovely, good-hearted boy stable and happy. Sadly, we don't have any dog insurance, he says. Say la vie. Well, he's 14, Billy. He's had a great innings. It is believed that once they get to 10, if they get to 10, you've done well. Many vets said that to me over the years. To get to 10, 11, you've done well. Anything else is a bonus. Jazz, God love her, was 13. She had a fantastic life. So after mourning her for a bit, we then celebrated her and thought, yeah, what a life she had. Went everywhere with us. You know, went everywhere. Domestic holidays. We obviously didn't travel overseas. She went to the lakes. She went to Cornwall, to the beaches. She was with us pretty much all the time. So yeah, once they get to 10 or 11, you've done well. I hope you'll be okay there, Billy. With the, the, But do look around. You're right to look around. You will obviously get the brand name of the insulin they're giving the dog or just shop around online for, for canine insulin and you might do better than picking it up monthly from your own vet who is putting a markup on it. So by all means, get online and have a shop around. I learned to do that later in life. I was a madman when I was younger. If I wanted something, or I needed something, I would just buy it the first place I saw it. And I used to pal around, not pal around, he went to a few games with me. I worked at one time with a, a gentleman called Imran Anwar. Imran might be listening to this. Lovely chap from Rochdale. Uh, Pakistani heritage, Imran. Really good lad. And he put me straight about shopping around. Put me straight and proper. Because back in 2004, we were, we were in the UK. Before moving to Spain, we lived in the UK. And I went into Manchester City Centre to pick up a Vodafone mobile phone. I needed a phone. And I went in. And I walked straight into a, to a shop and was agreeing terms when Imran tapped me on the shoulder, my Pakistani friend, and said that, I and every other Irish guy that he ever knew needed to learn a little bit about the art of the haggle. And by God, did I learn the art of the haggle from Imran. He said, no. He said, you won't get it here. There are 17 other shops around Manchester. Let's go around and have a look. And we'll tell every one of them. He said that we want to buy the phone today, but we got it over there. Oh, we've just come from O2. We've just come from the car phone warehouse. We've just come from Orange. And they said this. He was brilliant. He was an amazing negotiator. In the end, I got a pretty good deal. And I learned a big lesson that day. You know? Al says, Richie, it's the EMF soup we live in. 5G, etc. Or they are testing some form of weapons tech. In my opinion, read the birds. Yes. Margaret, I'm going to read your message, Margaret. Uh, this, this, is, this is good. 
I interviewed Ian Joseph the other night on the Richie Allen Show, I think Wednesday. Ian is a, a man with a law degree, but who hasn't practised law. And he, I think he does and has done a great service for many years. He has managed to help folks who are in, in grave danger of losing their children to what we call forced adoption. Ian came on anyway and he spoke for nearly an hour on the programme. Margaret says, Richie, I was extremely interested to hear your interview with the lovely gentleman in Monaco the other night, especially the bit when he said that most family lawyers lose cases when it comes to removing children from parents. We appointed a family lawyer in a custody case involving my 13-year-old granddaughter and the result is that we haven't seen her for a year and neither has my daughter. There are no risks to her from us. It's all because her father brainwashed both her and the lawyer into agreeing she shouldn't see us unless she wants to. And she's obviously terrified to go against her father. It's really heartbreaking and to rub salt into the wounds, it costs my daughter around £3,000. And she still has to pay £240 a month for a daughter she has no contact with and doesn't even know where she lives. This is a Friday treat, she says, hearing you, Richie. Margaret, I'm really sorry about that. And you know, I covered a case three or four years ago. It's not, it's not entirely similar now to your case, Margaret. But I covered a case where, 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 where a child was orphaned. No, 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 no. I didn't. I did not. I covered a case where a single mother was unable to look after her two children. The children were seven and nine or seven and ten. Now, if I'm here another 25 minutes, off the top of my head, I will remember the name of the lovely grandparents. The daughter, Margaret, had severe mental illness, uh, which, which meant depression, which meant on occasion she would need to be given, um, I suppose, what, what would you call it? She, residential care, yes, residential care, meaning she wouldn't be able to look after uh, the seven and the nine-year-old. Now, the grandparents were in their uh, late 50s, lovely people, community people. I think they had good jobs. They were, you know, well-known. I think the wife might have been retired or just about to. And the husband was still working. Nice people. The, you know, the blood grandparents. The maternal grandparents. But um, the local authority did everything in its power to prevent the grandparents becoming the uh, guardians of the children. And they fought tooth and nail, did the grandparents, to say, no, they should remain with us, the children. We're, we're physically and obviously financially capable of looking after our grandchildren. And it'll be important they stay with us because their mum, you know, comes out of residential care and she's good. At times she's well and she's in good form. And it'll be all the better for the children and for the mother, for them to be together. But in the end, the family court judge ruled the children should be taken into care. And that the grandparents, for a period of some months, shouldn't be given any access to the children so that they can acclimatise to their new surroundings. 
It's dreadful stuff. It goes on in this country and the vast majority of people, I think, haven't a clue that it goes on. But I'll leave that there. Thank you, Margaret, for that. And I'm sorry for you, I really am, and for your daughter. And I hope there'll be some resolution there and she'll be reunited um, with, um, with her own daughter. Hi to Gail. How you doing, Gail? Gail's had a lovely hot stone massage and is blissed out. I've never had the pleasure. I went to um, Tangiers, Morocco, when we lived in Spain because I wanted to go to the Mervyn Pick Hotel because they have a fantastic casino there. Fantastic casino. You play blackjack there and the odds are a little bit better than at other casinos. Than, than at other casinos. How? How, Baldy? How? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. When you play blackjack at the Mervyn Pick Casino Hotel in Tangiers, well, I've, I've lived the life, dear listener. I've lived the life. I'm living the life. When you play blackjack, they give you your card. So you might, you, you might, I play five euro a game. I haven't played blackjack now for over 10 years. And I do miss it. I'm not endorsing gambling. I'm a good gambler. Me, I would take out 100 euro. This is like once every six or seven months now. It wouldn't be every week, right? See, when, when the future missus had her bar in Spain, we would close every Monday. And maybe one Monday a month or every two months, we would go and stay in a hotel casino and play a bit of blackjack and play a little bit of roulette. I, 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 I'm steadfast. I'm absolutely fastidious when it comes to the rules. You bring with you that which you are prepared to lose because you normally do lose and you do not bring your credit or debit cards. Oh no. Not that I would be tempted anyway. And once your cash is gone, have a drink. Now the Moven pick was lovely because just like the American casinos, they furnish you with your alcohol on the house as long as you're gambling. Oh yeah. Fandabidozy. But they also had a lovely little thing. You would put your five euro down. You get your two cards in blackjack. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. Our first time there. The lovely croupier would deal the cards. And then she would say, surrender. And we were looking at one another. And nobody wants to ask. Because you don't want to look stupid. There are other players at the table. Not just you and your mates. You don't want to ask. You don't want to let the whole of Ireland down. Paddy doesn't have a clue. But in the end, we had to ask, what do you mean by surrender? And she went, well, if you believe your hand is not... If you believe you've got such a bad hand that you can't win this round, you can surrender and I'll give you half your stake money back. I'll give you back two euro and fifty. Surrender. I thought, fantastic. That's a bit better than you normally get from the old casinos. And we were with a lovely man called William Downs. And he was known in, in Western Costa del Sol circles. He was known as Billy the Fish. Billy, William Downs. He was known as Billy the Fish because he ran a fish and chip shop in a port called Duquesa in, in, uh, in Spain on the Costa del Sol, about 20 miles from Gibraltar, a little bit less. Billy the Fish, an amazing character. He was in the Navy. He was, a, he was an able seaman in the Royal Navy. No interest in climbing up the ranks. Did 15 years, I believe, and travelled all over the world with uh, the British Navy. 
in peacetime. And he had the most amazing stories. He was a great, he was a very gregarious guy. Great guy to tell a story. Great raconteur. Would tell you great stories. And very eccentric, this man. You can probably picture now the sort of man I'm talking about. He didn't have the posh voice now, but he could speak well. But he was with us this night and gave me belly laughs because after we got the explanation, she, she, she dealt the next hand of cards and she said, Surrender! And Billy went, Never! Never! An Englishman never surrenders! Something like that. You had to be there. But I like a bit of blackjack, yeah. Why did we get onto blackjack? Does anybody have any idea why we ended up on blackjack? Was it just so I could tell you I went to Tangiers? I can't remember. I think it's time for another tune. When we come back, more of your messages. This is undoubtedly the worst radio show you have ever heard in your life. But I tell you this, dear listener, I tell you this. It's still better than Steve Rice on BBC Radio 2. Or anything on the BBC right now. This is Todd Rundgren on The Richie Allen Show. Todd Rundgren and I saw the light. How you doing, Karen? Thanks for your message. Loads of messages on this. Karen says, don't get me started on bloody vets. We took our elderly husky to the vets with an ear infection. They said, yes, he's got an ear infection. We can either give you a broad spectrum antibiotic and ear wash and see how he goes. Or we can take a sample, look at it under the microscope to identify what exactly the infection is and give a more targeted treatment that will only be £30 more. So, says Karen, we said, fine, do the sample, find out which infection it is, do the targeted treatment. An hour later, they rang Karen and said, we can't identify the infection, so we'll have to send it off to the lab. Then, have him in under general anaesthesia to wash out his ear. Approximate cost is Karen, £800. We said, no bloody chance. Let's go back to square one. We'll have the broad spectrum antibiotic and ear wash. They said, oh no, we can't do that now. We're like, what the feck, why not? So we brought some, uh, we bought even some ear wash from Amazon at quarter the price of the same stuff from the vet and gave him steroids we had left over from our old dog. He was fine in a week and his ear hasn't bothered him for the 12 months since. There is this thing with franchises. I don't know if yours was a franchise, Karen. But with the vets, it's almost like people used to fear taking their cars in for diagnostics. Taking the car in because there's a little bit of a, an unusual noise coming from under the bonnet. Because you knew there was a good chance you were going to be fleeced. They were going to tell you, you need this, you need that. You need a hypersparks, you need a long stand, you need this, you need that, right? And of course you don't have a Scooby-Doo and you end up paying for it. And there is that with franchise vets, I really do believe that. Loads of messages. Colm says he met a woman ask, walking her cat on a lead. I've, I've seen that once, one time, and I think it was in Spain. Uh, I met a woman walking her cat on a lead, says Colm. Gave me a great lift. Not something you see every day. The cat's name was Maple, says Colm. <laughs> Maple. Darren says your insurance, your insurance premium may have gone up if you hadn't spotted the fraudulent pricing. That is a good point. Hi to Mike who's in County Down. How are you doing, Mike? He says it's good to hear the show on a Friday. It's in lieu of yesterday, although to be honest... 
this is fairly crap now. It's hardly a substitute for what you would have got last night, which was guests and interesting information. Mike, though, has made me giggle, although I'll be criticised now for giggling. He says, will the, the, the new West Ham anthem be I'm forever kicking tittles? <laughs> As opposed to I'm forever blowing bubbles. Why do I... I've heard I'm forever blowing bubbles a thousand times, and yet I can never muster up... I can never think of the, the air, the melody... I'm forever blowing bubbles. Is that it? I can't sing anyway. Um, yes, it's great. Lovely song, I'm forever blowing bubbles. And when West Ham play, they've got bubble machines, the side of the pitch. Do, do, do you remember being a child and your mother buying you the little tub with the little gadget to blow bubbles? <laughs> Why did she do that? All she had to do was put a bit of fairy liquid in some still water and mix it up a bit. And and you could do it yourself, right? Or or she could have done it herself. But you used to buy those things. You used to get those as kids, didn't you? You get them in a lucky dip sometimes. Joan reckons five G for the birds. Chemtrails, maybe, yeah. Dolores says when I grew up in Germany, we had no vets in the town. We didn't need them. We also had five dogs and cats at any time, says Dolores. Crazy cat lady Dolores. She says I noticed the vet business started with the introduction of manufactured food. Hmm, that interests me now. The tins of crap, says Dolores. Ever since then, cats and dogs seem to need the help of vets. My latest doggy nearly died after the jab. I did not know about it. My friend's dog also had the jab against my advice three years ago and suffered brain damage. So there. So you mean, Dolores, the... The regular annual inoculations for dogs. What do they get vaccinated against dogs? Help me out here. It's kennel cough, isn't it? Distemper, is it? Do they get vaccinated against that? I have no idea, really. Um, Jazz never got a jab. The the dogs we have now uh, will never get a jab again. We couldn't prevent them getting the early jabs because they, they, they give them to them when they're six or seven weeks old. We couldn't prevent that, but um, they won't get jabs in the future. Claire says, when we moved to our new property about nine years ago, I took to establishing a garden of herbs and fruit, nut trees and bushes from the scrubland as it was. I couldn't get over a number of neighbours who would walk by as I was digging out beds, etc., who would comment that I seemed to like gardening, like it was such a rare thing. I know, I know of a mini orchard, says Claire. Well, the, the Irish lads who put down the lawn for us sadly told us these days a lot of their work is, wait for it, is removing grass, removing lawn and putting down artificial stuff, the astroturf. How sad. How absolutely sad. I'm feeling pretty smug about getting rid of the astroturf and replacing it with real grass. Pretty smug about it. It must be said. So it has been said. The time is three minutes to four o'clock. I can't believe it. I've nearly managed an hour. Shall we go for another half hour till half four? Why not for the crack? Let's try and see. Can we can we squeeze a bit more bollocks out of me for for another 33 and a half minutes?
Let's have a go at it, Annie. I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a good go. Thank you for your animal stories. Yeah, it is three minutes to got a fright there. I thought I'd misread the clock there. Julie says, Richie, it's not the worst show I've ever heard. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> I, I, I'm enjoying listening, she says. You have the Irish gift of the gab. Have you kissed the Blarney Stone? I swallowed the Blarney Stone and I regurgitated it. I swallowed it. It's in County Cork. She says, Julie says, I'm sure you know it's in County Cork. Give me a break, Julie. I was born and bred in Waterford and I used to be a tour guide for Waterford Crystal. So I used to meet a lot of Americans on the on the coach tours. One of their stops would always be the, the 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 woolen mills, of course, and give the old Blarney Stone a kiss. Must be must be full of cooties, that Blarney Stone, full of germs and stuff, you know. Must be full of germs. Yeah. Hi to Dean, who says, I've driven in many countries, but I tell you what, Morocco, what completely bonkers. Went up, uh, there was, it, uh, uh, Dean, the Atlas Mountains, many years ago. Great place, says Dean, yes. Had to read that a second time, Dean. My first, we went to Tangiers a few times and 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 then went south a bit, you know, where you see the more, I suppose, traditional way of living. Because Tangiers is a big mad place, big touristy place. Once you go a bit south, heading towards Fez, you see things, you, you see a bit more of how people live in those parts of the world. And there's a lot to be said for the way they live community, how people look out for one another. But the thing that got me was the call to prayer. You know, which if you've never experienced it. It's it's fascinating to hear on the loudspeakers, to hear the, the chanting, the, the Islamic call to prayer and all of that. Yeah, that was a bit, uh, no, I wouldn't say nerve-wracking, a bit spine-tingling maybe, I don't know. Hi to Faisal, how you doing, Faisal? Jenny says, I'm gobsmacked by the judge who allowed the children go into care rather than be with their grandparents. What on earth was he thinking? Or she, Jenny, I can't remember. I spent part of my childhood with my grandparents and nearly all of my happy childhood memories come out of that period. Kay says, Richie, the video you mentioned about the birds becoming disorientated is feasible. I'm not disputing that, but I wonder why it's only over the last two years we are hearing a lot about flocks of birds being found dead. Wouldn't we have heard about these instances long before? That's a good point, Kay. That's a good point. And or, who sent the email with the video, thank you, because yes, of course, birds, it makes sense that birds can get a bit disoriented, get a bit dizzy and, 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 and hit the ground. And die, yes, absolutely. And there are other reasons, sonic booms, other things. But in the last two years, it is becoming more and more commonplace. Not just birds either. Fish floating on the tops of rivers and lakes inexplicably and getting a little bit of a mention in the media and then some kind of mealy-mouthed, well, we don't know what's happening. Followed by, it could be, but we don't know What's happening? Yeah, I mean, I mean look, we, we know that aluminium toxicity in bees. Can aluminium impact birds? Can it? I don't know. Maybe it can't. Maybe it can. I don't know. It probably wouldn't explain birds, you know, basically nose diving into the ground and killing themselves. But I'm sure that birds are susceptible to aluminium poisoning as well. Look, I've believed, if you're new to the programme, let me explain... I have seen enough evidence 
during my time in the independent media, which began in 2008, 2009, really, around about that time, I've seen enough to believe that that chemtrailing is a real phenomenon. Right? That is airplanes spitting out aluminium, barium, strontium, other other heavy metals. Not contrails, which is, is water vapour coming from a jet engine, which is what they want you to believe. You will look at your sky sometimes and see it uh, crisscrossed with uh, streaks of of white. And they'll tell you, they, as in, I suppose, aviation experts, they will say, what you're seeing there are jet contrails, nothing to see here. I don't believe it. I've seen some fantastic documentaries by credible journalists on the subject. I've heard, even on this programme some years ago, from retired pilots who talked about it. Not, not who participated in it, but who said, yes, it can't be contrails. It can't be. If it was contrails, it would not linger around as long as it does. Contrails should dissipate within a few minutes. Even if you say 20 minutes. These things do not dissipate. They hang around and then they kind of... I've never been able to say this any better. I've never found a better way of explaining it. They fatten out. They spread out. And all of a sudden, you've got a haze when you look up where previously there was sun. Glorious sun and blue sky. Now, why are they doing that? There are a number of theories. One of them, the the more widely, I suppose, disseminated, the more widely disseminated theory, which I don't agree with, is that they're doing it for our own good because global warming is real and they're doing it to, to reduce the impact of the sun's rays on planet Earth. I don't believe that. Now, it might be that compartmentalisation might be a thing. There might be those who work in the chemtrail programme who believe that, who are told that, hey, listen, we're doing it to save the planet. I don't believe it at all. I believe there are... I'll tell you what I won't do. I won't get into a long-winded explanation of what I believe. I'll, I'll do something on the programme next week about it. I'll get some people who do know a bit more about it than I do. But it isn't good for us. You know, we are ingesting, in my opinion when we are out and about, even when we're indoors, we're ingesting heavy metals. That can't be good for us. In fact, it isn't good for us. And we know that aluminium poisoning or toxicity is collapsing bee colonies all over the world. Where's the aluminium coming from? I wager it's coming from the sky. It's a deadly agenda. There are, I think there are probably two or three different plans in play there. There are two or three, maybe four reasons for doing it. You know, transhumanism might be one of them, for sure. Uh, creating a space fence may be another one. Uh, I don't know. I think it fits in with the HARP programme. Again, something I've been talking about on and off for years and years and years and years on, uh, on my programmes. Have you heard of the HARP programme? Now, if you've listened to me long enough, of course you will. And I'm sure you heard of it before you ever heard of me. I'm sure you did. But... Um, let me just bring it up here so I don't make an absolute balls of it when I'm, when I'm explaining it. That's the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Programme. 
harp. Look it up if you've never heard of it. It involves basically antennae. How do you say it? it's antennae? Antennae. Antennae blasting radio waves into the ionosphere. And some people, some very well researched people, believe that that is madness, that it can interfere with the jet stream and that it can impact, seriously impact on weather systems and weather patterns. The high frequency active Aurora Research Program, otherwise known as HARP. Nick Beggage wrote an amazing book on this called Angels Don't Play That Harp. He's a lovely man, Nick. It's about time we got Nick back on the program, six minutes past the hour. Shall I play another tune, shall I? And when we come back from the tune, we'll have a, a few more messages and, and we'll have more of a chat. Sorry about this. I, I genuinely planned today to spend all morning doing what I do, which is basically editing audio and writing the bullet points for, for a news programme. But I had so much going on this morning, I couldn't do it. I probably should have binned the programme and just made my excuses. But then I thought, no, I did say I would do it, so just do it anyway. I'm not fishing for compliments here. This is crap. I'm well aware of it. I don't fish for compliments. This is garbage. If I was my own programme controller, I'd be having a serious word with me later on. This is Elton John, Elton John, Elton John. Elton John, I'm still standing on Friday's Richie Allen show. It's exactly nine minutes past four. My pal Patricia in Zurich, she says that the story of the grandparents touched herself and her husband at the time. And her husband has asked so many times since then, does Richie know what happened to that case of the grandparents? They, they lost the case and they appealed and, and lost Patricia. But what I should do, and, and I will do it, I'll make it my business to do it, I'll reach out to the family and, and ask them how they're getting on. I should do that. I would ordinarily have done that. I'm not going to make excuses. The last couple of years has been nuts, really. It's been crazy, but I should have done that. So I will do, and we'll see how they're getting on. Now, um, it's killing me that I can't, off the top of my head, remember the lady's name, because it was the gran that did most of the talking during the conversation we had. We had gran and granddad on. Wonderful. They were lovely people, touching people. But gran did most of the chatting, and she was, she was brilliant and, and upset. Dreadful stuff. How could you say the, the best thing for the children was to go to foster care and not go and spend, you know, go and live with gran and granddad? The mind boggles, you know. But as Ian demonstrated, I think, very, very succinctly on the programme on Wednesday, if you missed that interview, do listen to it. It's, it's not going to warm you up, you know. You're not going to sit there with a smile on your face. It's hard at times. It's very, very interesting what they do in this country, you know. Ian explains how they changed the Children's Act in, in, in 1989. To, to, make it feas to make it possible for the state to intervene and remove children. Not just when a tangible, when a real harm has occurred, but if it is suspected that some harm might come to the child or the children in the near future. That's why I brought up Philip K. Dick and Minority Report, because that's exactly what it is taking children away. They take a lot of children away after mum has delivered the baby. They, they will tell the mother. 
we're, we're taking your child when you give birth because you're not fit to bring the child up. We're worried about risk of future emotional harm. Mum might be a recovering addict. Mum might have had schizophrenia. Mum might have had some other mental well-being issue. Mum could be hanging around with somebody who's considered undesirable. Could be a boyfriend, could be anything. This is no joke, you know. That conversation with Ian is on Wednesday's programme. Go to richieallen.podomatic.com and if you've not ever come across the issue, you'll be shaking your head, thinking, no, they don't do that in England. They do. They do it in England. Ian said it's really kind of unique to the UK. They don't do it in France. In France and in other parts of Europe, they do everything they can to keep the children with, with the, with, with, with the mum. No matter what's going on. Obviously, if the children are being sexually abused or if they're being beaten up, obviously, something has to happen there. They've got to come out of that situation. But excluding those horrible things, if it's mum's not well, things aren't going well for mum, poverty, whatever, no. No, in, in Ireland, thank God, in, in my country, and in Europe, they, they don't do it. It's almost exclusive to, uh, to the UK. I'm not bashing the UK. I live here. I've spent um, a lot of my life in the UK. So there you are. Yeah. Scottish Arl says, there is a good documentary called What on Earth Are They Spraying? There is. It's part of, uh, it's a trilogy made by a man called Michael Murphy, who I interviewed many, many years ago. Michael hasn't been well in recent years. Emotionally well. I'm not in any way now. Uh, meaning to, to, to hurt him by saying that, or anyone who knows him, not at all. I think it's well known that Michael hasn't been well, but a brilliant journalist, and he was brilliant. That, those are great films. What in the world are they spraying is the first one. I think what on earth are they spraying might be the second one or the third one, but there are three, and I do believe they're still pretty accessible. You'll get them on BitChute maybe, or one of those other non-YouTube platforms, you'll find them. Scaramouche says, research ionospheric heaters. Research ionospheric heating experiments, if you want to learn a little bit more about HARP. Uh, good call, pal, good call. And Shambhala says, I believe it's HARP, uh, the active aural research project, in conjunction with the atmospheric geoengineering. Uh, the nearest HARP facility in the UK, to us in the UK, is in Menwith Hill, Yorkshire. I should have said that, shouldn't I? It, uh, the, the very first one we heard of was in Alaska. But uh, Shambhala or Shambhala on the website is right to say there are many harps around the world and there are those who believe. And we're talking about clever people now. Not silly people who, you know, not just silly old truthers making stuff up. You know, we're talking about clever people. They say when you heat the ionosphere, it, it, it can cause catastrophic weather events. There are others who believe that you can heat the ionosphere with the harp thing and then use other technology to, which I can't remember, to bring about earthquakes and stuff like that. I'm perfectly, I've always been perfectly prepared to believe that. I've always been open-minded to it. Of course, I never tell you, this is true, it's a fact, because I don't know. It's not, it's not my remit to do that. But, um, yeah. Black Pepper is playing a poker tournament later and is in a good vibe because of this show. Thank you, Black Pepper. 
I should play The Gambler now by Kenny Rogers, shouldn't I? Ah, go on then. Can I find it? Just because you're playing poker later on. If I find it now, it'll be impressive, won't it? <laughs> because I'm on my own here, you know. Let's see if I can find it. Let's play The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Be Jesus. Have we got it, have we? Because you've got to know when to hold him, you see, Black Pepper. And you've got to know when to fold him. Don't touch your money. Uh, until the dealing is done or something like that something along those lines anyway I don't know here's Kenny Rogers The Gambler on a warm summer's evening on a table count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough for counting when the deal is done there's for Black Pepper there now going to play some cards later on poker's never been my game. Now why do I say that? I don't think I understand it really. I don't know the rules of it. Looks like a good game. 30s is one of my favourite games of all time. 30s. Some people call it Trump's 30s. I love playing a rubber of 30s with a, with a group of six people. Five people including you is six 30s. The best card in the deck is the five of Trump's then the Jack. What comes next? The five, the Jack and then the ace of whichever suit happens to be trumps in that particular rubber. 30s is a great game. Tactical game when you're playing teams of three against three. You know, 30s, you have to win tricks. You have to win a trick. Each trick is, wor- is worth five points. And the first person to get to 30 points wins. 30s. It's a great game. It's a great country game in Ireland. I used to go to Waterford City Rugby Club in Parnell Street in Waterford many, many years ago. There were some lovely old gentlemen there. Most of them have passed on now. Uh, I was 16, 16, 17 at the time. Lovely old guys. I've always loved the company of people much, much older than me, even when I was younger. I used to go into the rugby club in Parnell Street and meet people like Dick Geron and Jackie Daniels, that was his real name, and, and Digger. There's a guy called Digger there. Paddy was his name. Lovely fella. Elderly gentleman. They would sit there and take the piss out of me because I was 16. Thought I knew everything. And they were great. And they used to get me to play in the 30s rubbers. But they would give out to me. They would give me proper dogs abuse. Because, like I said, it's teams of three against three. And you are seated. And on either side of you is someone from the other team. You can never sit next to your own teammate, you know how it goes, right? Around a table. And they'd always give out to you for playing the wrong card. Why did you play the four there? Why did you play the five? I'd already won the trick. You didn't have to play the five. They'd be murders, but I loved it going in there, the uh, the Waterford City Rugby. I never played, played rugby one time, played it one time, got my head kicked in and said feck that for a game of soldiers. How do they refer to it again? A ruffians game played by gentlemen, I think, is how they once referred to to rugby. It used to be an elitist, toffee-nosed sport. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it was in, in Ireland when I was growing up. Now that's all changed and everybody plays rugby now, or at least everybody is given the chance to play rugby. When I was a young lad growing up in Ballybeg in Waterford, I was once flatly refused, I was turned down um, 
my application to join St. Anne's Tennis Club in Waterford, which was very hoity-toity back then. St. Anne's Tennis Club in Waterford. Only the rich people played there. And I was a 10-year-old kid, very athletic. I was very athletic as a kid, big, strong, quick. But I wasn't great at any of the sports I, I played. Anyone who knows me back in, in, in Waterford will tell you he played everything, Richie, but, you know, he, he wasn't pulling up any trees, like. But I played, I was quick, I, I was fit, I loved playing sports. And I really wanted to play tennis. Desperately, desperately wanted to play it. Because I wouldn't just play tennis during Wimbledon. We always had rackets and we'd be playing tennis. And I loved the tennis player, Ivan Lendl. I loved him. I loved him because I felt that I had something in common with him. When I was young, I had a difficult childhood. I told you this before. A lot of physical abuse. I was a bit of an outcast. Kept myself to myself. And nobody liked Ivan Lendl and I liked him. In fact, I came to love him. In the 80s, I would stay up late watching his tennis matches on my little black and white portable when he'd be playing in the US Open, for example. And I loved him. And I wanted to play tennis. And I went up to St. Anne's Tennis Club and I asked about joining. And they asked me for my address and my address was Ballybeg in Waterford. Ballybeg is a housing estate. It's a great place, great place to grow up. But like any housing estate, there's always one or two families to give it a bit of a bad reputation. I won't mention those families now because I'm still scared of them. So we'll just leave that one there. But uh, yeah, so I said to th- this person at St. Anne's, yeah, 60 Priory Lawn, Ballybeg, and they, well, they basically told me I couldn't join. Couldn't join. They had a Saturday thing for children, but I, 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 I couldn't play because I was from Ballybeg. And tennis was closed off to people like me. I might have shown some aptitude for tennis. I was tall, I could serve, very quick. I'm, I'm still very quick at 47. But no, I'm not bragging. I've just told you I'm pretty shit at most things, but I can run. They said, no, no, you can't join. Funny thing happened. B- bit, of a, bit of a Julia Roberts moment in Pretty Woman. Years later, I was working for Waterford Local Radio. And every year, Waterford Local Radio runs something called the Lions Club Hamper Appeal at Christmas. It runs an appeal on the radio, a big auction thing over a couple of days, and it raises an enormous amount of money for for genuinely poor people. And it's great because the money genuinely goes into making up fantastic Christmas hampers for poor people with, with really good food. The best of everything goes into the hampers. And, the, and, and it gets delivered then to people, all very discreetly, of course, as it should be. Lovely. But everybody pitches in in Waterford, the businesses and all of that. And wouldn't you know it, I'm 25, 26, doing this thing, and this very woman, years later, still involved with St. Anne's Tennis Club, comes up to me, delighted to meet me. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm known, I'm well known for being on the radio. Delighted to meet me. Sure, I couldn't resist it. I said, uh, come here, says I... <laughs> You wouldn't let me join your tennis club, would you? Um, I might have said one or two stronger things, but um, I left it there. Yeah, you couldn't play tennis. You could, rugby was, like I said, was closed off to, to scallies, to scruffy little bollockses like me. You couldn't play rugby. You couldn't play tennis. 26 minutes past uh, the hour. Hey, listen, that's about it for me today. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. It's been absolute 
feckin' garbage. Again, no compliment fishing here. But uh, I'm glad that I did it because it's it's killed 90 minutes for us, hasn't it? It's killed 90 minutes. Why, why as a species, do we try and kill time? <laughs> why, why don't we enjoy just doing nothing? But, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've killed time today. You and me. I suppose the next time we'll talk will be Sunday morning for Sunday Morning Melodies, which is uh, a show that's become, for me, a real pleasure to do. I love it. I can't wait for Sunday mornings. Uh, I spend a couple of hours on a Saturday and a few hours on Sunday morning preparing it. It's uh, a bit of crack. Sunday Morning Melodies, 10 o'clock. Sunday Morning Melodies with how cool is that? Yeah, 10 o'clock to midday. It's old favourites, songs with stories attached to them. It's lovely and laid back. That's 10 o'clock UK time Sunday morning. And then, of course, uh, we'll do the Richie Allen Show on Monday at 5. I'm relieved today, dear listener. I'm relieved because I was terrified that the little German shepherd, God lover, would have to have screws or plates put into her paw. El Frogo Tremendo, the softest human being that ever lived, was absolutely petrified that she'd have to have that operation because you worry about the impact on the little dog later on. But thank God she won't have to have that. So I'm relieved. I'm a relieved man. I'm going to go downstairs now. I'm going to lock up the studio and I'm going to have a glass of uh, Rioja, a glass of Spanish Red wine, if if not a cold beer. Thanks for being with me. Sorry about yesterday again, but needs must, as it, as it were. I'll, I will put this on Podomatic for the laugh. I'll have to edit the music out, but uh, I'll put it on Podomatic. Just in case you came in on the end of it. You didn't miss anything, really. I wouldn't be downloading it if I were you. But um, I'm playing this for the aforementioned El Frogo Tremendo, because um, I'm a curmudgeonly bastard at the best of times. Curmudgeonly. Now, not at the best of times. I'm generally a mild-mannered bloke, but I have my moments and I can be a pain in the arse. And this is a lovely st- song from Steve Earle. It's called Even When I'm Blue, meaning she loves me even when I'm blue. So I played this for herself. I'll see you Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time from the BBG. Have a fantastic weekend. Bye for now. Bye now.